0: Welcome back to Yazidi Voices. This is Fenya Antamara from Yazidi Legal Network. Um, and today we are joined by Debbie Rose, the Executive Director of Project Abraham in Canada. So thank you so much for being here. Um, and before we jump into the questions, um, would you mind just introducing yourself, Debbie? Um,
1: yeah, thank you, Fenya. It's a delight to be here with you. Um, so, uh, as you said, my name is Debbie Rose, I'm the Executive Director of Project Abraham. I've been with uh, Project Abraham since its inception, or, or at least since uh, its beginnings at the beginning of um, 2016. I, I think it had been started sort of as a grassroots before that, but hadn't really progressed too much. Um, so I have been with it since the beginning. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a very important life work for me.
2: Okay. And Project Abraham is based in Canada, right?
1: That's correct. It's yeah. in the Toronto area.
2: Oh yeah, but when did it start? And can you tell us about why is it called Project Abraham?
1: Yes, because the uh, it was called Project Abraham because uh, back at the beginning, when Mirza Ismail, who is a Yazidi, uh, who heads up the Yazidi Human Rights Organization International, he approached a small group of people, um, asking them in a, in another NGO, asking them. Uh, if they would um, help to bring over Yazidi refugees for the Family Reunification uh, Program. Uh, And at that time they named it Project Abraham because the Yazidis come from the same area of the world that uh, Abraham came from.
2: Oh, that's Uh, very
1: interesting
2: to know. Yes. Okay. Because I was always wondering why is it called Project Abraham, but that's a very thoughtful a name behind it. Uh, what, what is the purpose and why did it start, actually? Okay.
1: so uh, there was a Yazidi genocide began in August of 2014 and it was pretty horrific. Um, ISIS came in and attacked the uh, villages of Sinjar and uh, men, most of the men were shot on the spot, executed on the spot, uh, women and children were um, abducted into sexual slavery. And uh, even young boys were taken, converted to Islam and and trained as child soldiers. Um, So many of the survivors of that genocide, um, many are still in Iraq and and suffering under terrible conditions. uh, But Canada was able to bring over some Uh, At the time when we started Project Abraham, the government hadn't really brought any of these refugees over, uh, and we were working to bring them over under Canada's private sponsorship program. Uh, In that program, private sponsors can raise the funds, put together the volunteers, and take care of all the uh, needs of the refugees once they arrive. By the end of 2016, the government had decided to bring over some Yazidi refugees under the government-assisted program. Uh, And so, um, the whole nature of Project Abraham changed because we started out just wanting to engage in the private sponsorship program, bring over uh, a few families to be reunited Mm -hmm. uh, with their families here. But in 2017, when all of these, what we call GARS, Government Assisted Refugees, when all the GARS began to arrive, uh, we knew from our experience that the privately sponsored refugees do much better in terms of integration than the Government Assisted, simply because of the requirement of those volunteer teams on the ground. And so we took it upon ourselves to recruit and train and send volunteers In uh, two families, Yazidi families, to help them. So uh, the whole evolution of Project Abraham has really happened based on the needs of the time. And every year, it was something different. It changed.
2: I am. um, And can you tell us also about how many Yazidis were uh, brought into Canada, like in 2016 or 17? It was.
1: Yeah, 2017 they began, the program sort of went over two years, so they re- continued to come in 2018, a little bit 2019. Uh, and overall, I think there were about 1,200 Yazidis that were brought in and uh, sent to various places in Canada.
2: Right, and they were brought in by the Canadian government. Correct. Oh yeah, that's yeah. very beautiful. And there were mostly Yazidis who had suffered uh, under IS?
1: Yes, uh, we received many of the Yazidis who were very, very highly traumatized. Yeah, they they were coming in blended families. Um, So just scattered survivors coming together. Uh, So there were different, different configurations. I mean, there was, I know of a man and, and his wife and her sister who's widowed with her children. Um, There's another woman who came with all her children. She's widowed, but she had a male cousin, young male cousin of her husband. Um, uh, Families who met when they first got here and were in the hotel together and decided to get homes together so that you had just a very wide mix. But yes, uh, among them, the most traumatized.
2: yeah. And Um, uh, you were also telling about, okay, in 2017, around that year, Project Abraham started? Um, or was it uh, later?
1: Well, I think I think the first seeds of the project happened in 2015 uh, when they first started working. When I came in in January of 2016, it was just a handful of volunteers and a handful of Yazidis who come together. And the volunteers were helping them to fill out their application forms. So it was really just, even when I came, still just a seed. Um, from there, uh, it grew, and by the end of 2017, we incorporated in Canada as a separate not-for-profit. Okay. We, ach- we achieved our charitable status at the end of 2019.
2: And can I ask a personal question? Like, what is your motiv- motivation to work with Project Abraham, and what is your purpose that you started this project?
1: Well, um, I am Jewish, and uh, the Holocaust always weighs heavily in the hearts of many Jews. Um, When I heard and saw what was happening to the Yazidis, who I had never, I knew nothing about them before, that Mount Sinjar scenario where all the world, you know, the focus was on them, but my heart just broke for them because it was very reminiscent to me of what had happened to my people. So, I must have talked to my friends about it because um, one one night on a Saturday night, I got a call from a friend who said, "If you want to help the Yazidis, there's a meeting in this house tomorrow at this place." Um, so, my husband and I went hoping to get involved, but never dreaming that uh, very quickly would be taking a lead role. It wasn't the expect- expectation, but that's what happened um, yeah and and so I was feeling a lot of angst uh, in my life in terms of what was going on in the world and when I started working for the Yazidis it was really healing for me because I was able to take that energy and put it to something worthwhile where I was actually making a difference Um, and it was very good for me to do that.
0: That's very beautiful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And um, can you tell us a bit about uh, the projects that you do? Um, with or for
1: the Yazidi? Yes, as I said, it's changed a lot over the years as the need changed. So in that first year, we were doing uh, nothing except raising money and raising awareness in order to raise money uh, and filling in application forms, which I don't know what it's like in other countries, but in Canada, you can tear your hair out um, with, you know, we have an expression in English having to uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, right? (laughs) That's what it's like for government forms here. So that was that took all of our time in 2017 when all of the refugees came. uh, The teams of volunteers were making sure that they were settled in their homes, that they had the essential needs for survival, um, that uh, they were being registered for school, and that they could. Sometimes the volunteers would act as a, a middle person between teachers, school, and the parents. Um, we provided interpretation services, which was a really big challenge for the Yazidi community when we came, because there are no professional, sorry, professionally trained um, interpreters for Kurmanji in Canada, uh, and and even complicating that more, even the ones who had Kurmanji as a first language don't speak necessarily the Yazidi dialect of that. Uh, so we were using a lot of um, Yazidis themselves who had one family in particular who had been here for 12 years had English uh, and were really all that we had at the beginning in order to do interpretation. And that brought its own challenges. I mean, they're not professionally trained and there's privacy issues in in a small community where gossip is rampant, you know, so you want to be very, very careful. Um, So that was very, very challenging. Uh, So, and, and, you know, we did clothing drives, we had a picnic for Yazidis and volunteers. Um, We uh, partnered with other organizations. We took them on trips. We, um, uh, other organizations uh, had events that they uh, worked with us to be able to include the Yazidis. So it was children's events, things like that. Um, There were many, many things that we were doing. But what we found was that um, after that first year, Uh, By the time we got to 2018, we were beginning to see, once the survival needs had been dealt with, um, the emergence of deeper problems, deeper uh, issues that needed to be confronted. And the big one was that as a result of both illiteracy in many cases, and this uh, just horrific trauma that they were living with. The Yazidis were not thriving in our English language classes that the government provide. Uh, those classes are great for most people but they just weren't working for the Yazidis. They were falling through the cracks and if they didn't get the language skills they were never going to be able to integrate. So we began to put our focus on that. Um, that was in 2018. We did put in a few proposals for um, funding and they were turned down finally by The summer of 2019, the Canadian government approved us uh, for funding for a three-year UCD education support program. Uh, The funding began April 2020, uh, right in the middle of COVID, so uh, we weren't actually able to get it off the ground until June, where we did COVID uh, mitigating, you know, responses with outside with the canopy tent and folding tables and chairs and whiteboard and everything else. Um, And it was very successful right up until the point where the weather started changing in Canada. In October it starts to get cold. So at that point uh, we had to scramble to see if we could get computers for everybody, laptops. Um, It had always been our purpose, uh, our goal, to include computer literacy in the curriculum over the long term of the three years. Uh, but COVID really put an urgency to that. Uh, we finally had computers to everybody in the program by January of this year, and um, and so now everybody's now on Zoom, learning on Zoom, which is an amazing thing because not only have we been able to continue our classes, and 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 uh, increase their comfort level with technology because it really was there really was a lot of resistance to this at the beginning. But now we're actually able to have town hall meetings and community engagements, and it's fantastic. It's like what I've always wanted to be able to engage them like this. And we've had a couple of really nice community engagement events. Um, One of them in uh, March was we brought First Nations. I don't know if you're familiar with First Nations. Um, They were once called Indians, uh, but we call them First Nations now. We had First Nations come and address, uh, participate with our Yazidi community. Um, and it was just a resounding success. The Yazidis loved it. And, and what is it uh,
2: particularly that they loved about it? Like,
1: in what I, think there were, I think there was a number of, of very good things. The first is that, um, well, I, outside of just natural curiosity, they, I think they resonated with some of the, the rituals. Like, for example, we started and there was a smudging ceremony um, where, uh, you know, prayers were said, a meditation was done, and there was uh, a sage burned. Um, And the Yazidis seemed to um, believe that that was very similar to some rituals that they have. So there's something familiar about it. I think the fact that there was another, we did emphasize the fact that here was another indigenous people, just like the Yazidis are indigenous to their land, Who had lost their land and had lost their way of life and had suffered so that they had these connecting things. And then the First Nations were really wonderful in how they presented themselves. It was very uplifting and very much a a message of hope and cooperation and I think the Yazidis took that in. And then I found out after the fact that there was also the, um, the added advantage that um, I gave an exercise to the teacher's students that some of the Yazidis who felt comfortable should prepare some English um, presentation, an English presentation, in order to talk about themselves and share something about Yazidis, the Yazidis with the First Nations. Oh, yeah. And during their meeting
2: with the First Nations, they yes, also to prepare about themselves in English. That's
1: correct. Uh, and so Not only, I mean, my thought was let's just strengthen their English skills and and it's it's a good exercise. But what it ended up doing was it gave a lot of confidence to to those who participated because they experienced that they could talk to a community outside of their own and be successful. And so I heard a lot of great feedback that that it had um, increased their level of confidence.
2: Yeah, because what is the confidence that they lack in?
1: As a well I, I i well first of all, I think that um, any refugee, anybody coming to a new country who has to learn a new language, I think there's always that that point of not feeling confident in your ability to communicate right yeah. so so I think there was just that but mm. i I also think you know I mean the Yazidis have lost a lot of trust uh, in people you know they they've really Uh, Their friends and neighbors turned against them and um, they don't know who to trust anymore. And so finding, connecting to another community that's had similar experiences and, you know, seeing how they've managed. And, you know, I mean, I think the whole thing was just um, very healing.
2: And maybe it also gave them a little bit hope when they are seeing. Yeah, I think so. Like the First Nations in Canada, they could have, they like related to them. I think we heard like a lot of information about Project Abraham and also the projects, which are very interesting and meaningful. Um, So if I understand correct, like in the beginning, you started more like a practical and more social work projects just to help the Yazidis. And afterwards, you notice like, okay, there are more deeper problems, uh, which we need to attack. And like one of them is like the illiteracy, Because Mm -hmm. the Yazidis, they are from small villages in northern of Iraq. And like most of the girls, especially, they don't really finish after primary school, if I say correct.
1: If even that. If even
2: that, exactly. So I think it is even harder then to learn a completely new language. But not only the language, also the culture, I think. That must have been also very...
1: uh, It's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. If you put two people in a beginner's language class, and they're both illiterate in the new language, but one was literate in their own language back home, and the other had no literacy in their own language, they're not starting at the same place, because the brain isn't wired for that at this point. So um, that's very hard. And yes, uh, literally, when you take Yazidis out of out of the life they had in Iraq and you plop them in the middle of an urban environment in North America, um, it's like taking somebody and putting them on another planet. It's so different and I think that's why one of the programs we did which last year, which was to start a community garden, was so well received by the Yazidis they were so happy
2: about because a community I, garden
1: Yes you like do. Um, we found, uh, we were so lucky, we found a church, we were looking for a place where we could get a community garden for them, and there ended up being a, a church literally across the road from the area where many of them live, they could walk it very easily, who had just a whole um, land behind the church that they used for a community garden, and the Yazidis were given, you know, I think 20, over 20 plots, right, pretty large plots. Anyway, they they were so happy and I think that this was really the first touch of home in their new country, you know, it because it was something that, that they very much could relate to and, and brought back homes of their former sorry, memories of their former life.
2: Yeah, and I think also there was something finally something they can do. Like I think they are very used yeah. to working on the lands and instead of like all the hard things they had to go through like learning English and adjusting to the new culture they also I think found something because my mom the same she's always in the garden because that is something how she grew up and she says I feel very peaceful in the garden when I go and work even when I wake up at 7am I go to my garden and I just work there and that's like like a peace moment for them. And I think it's also mm-hmm. for those Yazidis. Yes. Who are in a whole different planet, as you mentioned. Yeah. And now that is their well, yeah. Back home memory.
0: That's it's very also, beautiful. Yeah. And it's also interesting to hear how you just kind of really learned with the project. You started off and you kind of jumped into it, and then as it went along, you learned more and more. You learned the special things that you could do and couldn't do, and kind of adapted to it and grew together. Um, yes, I think it's, oh,
1: it's, what I an think. understatement that is. <laughs> we did learn from this by the seat of our pants. There's no question about it. Um, and uh, but it's it's been a really great journey, um, yeah. you know, and it and it's a hard one too because. You know, I think my heart breaks more than anything else. The Yazidis here want to be reunited with the remainders of their families who are struggling in Iraq, many of them. And, you know, our, the current uh, laws under the government don't allow us as, a, as an organization to bring over um, anyone who's still living in Iraq uh, mm-hmm. because they're not considered refugees. They're not defined as refugees by the UNHCR. So uh, we're only allowed to bring over people who have left Iraq and Turkey, but many of the most desperate are still in Iraq. So um, we're constantly, I mean, even our professional, um, I would say settlement organizations and mental health professionals, they have all said that probably the most healing thing we can do for our Yazidi community is to reunite them with their families. That is it and um, there may be something happening in Canada now but we haven't uh, got full details about it but we're hoping it will help to bring more family members over for for the Yazidi community because this is the most heartbreaking of everything is to hear them um, plead, you know, for help in getting their family and like our hands are tied, you know, there really isn't too much we can do.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that must be very hard. and also for them like as you mentioned in the beginning they come like with a cousin or only their children so their family is like not complete yet but uh do they know that their family is like in iraq because there are also still people missing from the Yazidi community in iraq
1: well there's a lot of people who still don't know whether their family are alive or dead and they don't want to think of them as dead but they haven't yet shown up in a um, mass grave or uh, as somebody who's just escaped Daesh, right? They, they, they don't know. Um, and we've had cases where uh, a mother had to come over to Canada with um, some of her children and leave behind a daughter, a young daughter, with, in the hands of ISIS. And imagine living with that, you know, not knowing if she's alive or dead, but if she's alive, you know what's happening to her um, it, there can't be anything more horror, horrific than that. Um, and then the daughter manages to escape, uh, and now we have to try and reunite the mother and daughter. You know, oh my God, I have
2: goosebumps. But yeah. how is it for you and for the other uh, people from Project Canada, uh, Project Abraham, uh, when you talk to those people and when you hear their like? horrific heartbreaking stories like what does it do with you
1: well my heart breaks with them and I'll cry with them Um, but in the end I have to go home and I have to sleep so I do as much as I can um, have to keep a distance between an emotional distance between what they're going through and my own life because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do my job I mean it would be impossible to stay here and continue yeah. Um, because I would be an emotional wreck too. So, um, I, I have a lot of empathy and, and I do feel their pain, but, um, I do keep that, that distance, emotional distance as much as I can.
2: Yeah. Because you already mentioned like the best thing for, those, for them would be, uh, reuniting with their families. Um, but is there any other spe- uh, specific needs that Yazidis need, uh, like for the traumas, like any distinguished needs?
1: Uh, this has been, I think, one of the most challenging of everything is how to give them the the therapeutic, um, you know, component of their healing. Because they didn't, especially at the beginning, they didn't respond well to Western therapy, which mm-hmm. is understandable. Because for them, healing means they're gonna forget because they're remembering 24 seven, they have nightmares at night and, and they can't think because all they're doing is reliving the trauma over and over and over again. So then to go to a therapist who's asking them to talk about it, all it does is re-traumatize them. Um, so this, is not, this didn't work well for them. So many of the mental health professionals here have been um, grappling with how, what is the best therapy for the Yazidi community, and they're still working on that. Um, We are now at a point where we have partners that we can refer our Yazidis to, so we've done a little bit of that. Um, But I think, I really think that outside of family reunification, um, the most important thing is give them what they need to be successful in Canada. Because a lot of, they're just even further traumatized by the fact that they can't speak a language that they don't understand the economy, that they they can't be self-sufficient, um, you know, all of these things is, for any human being, is a very hard thing to live with. Um, for somebody who's already been through what Yazidis have been through, to have to go through those years of adjustment, it's, it's just very, very, very challenging. So, um, We're giving them the language. I have to tell you the YES program, the Yazidi Education Support Program, has been incredibly successful. We've seen leaps and bounds in progress for most of them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very exciting. In fact, it exceeded our expectations. And what is it about? This is giving them the private uh, uh, professional English teachers to come to them and uh, teach them in very small groups, sometimes as small as two, three people. Um, so that they get the customized attention that they need in order to learn. And it's been amazing. Like we expected at the beginning that it was going to make a huge difference because they needed that individual attention, but that the trauma and the literacy was going to make it very slow progress. And for a few, a handful, that's true, that they are struggling, but they're learning. And they're loving their program, but they're slow. But for the vast majority of it, of them, they are just making tremendous progress in their English skills, and we're very excited about it. Um, so our focus now, beyond continuing the yes, because you know it's a three-year program and it could be much longer, uh, depending on, on uh, how things happen. But um, we're now focusing on um, preparing them for careers and integration into the uh, the job market. So, uh, the, and plus helping the children who are falling behind in their schoolwork. So, this is our focus for the coming year. Uh, so, we have a, we're trying to raise money for a few things. Uh, one is to um, send tutors, hopefully Yazidi tutors, that we have money to pay. Because we want to employ Yazidis as much as we can. Um, sending uh, Yazidi tutors into the, to, to children to help them catch up on their schoolwork. Um, their learning and then on another stream there's a lot of kids in high school who have no understanding at all what lies ahead for them in terms of opportunities in advanced learning or in careers so we want to do a training program to inform them of of Mm -hmm. what you know their choices and then another program for all Yazidis who are who are almost ready or ready to get into the job market or they have jobs but they're you know um, jobs that they're not going to want to do with their whole lives right they're going to want something uh, that they can feel much more successful at Um, and and find do some analysis on their uh, you know aptitudes you know what they're good at what they enjoy uh, and then show them what they have to do in order to be able to follow that career and, and help them in every way. So those are, those are our new focuses. Oh, you
2: do like a lot, like for uh, the Yazidi community there. And all the things you're telling is like very motivating. And I think maybe also one of our listeners is getting like motivated, like, oh, maybe I want to help also uh, a Yazidi, because they are not only in Canada, but we have them also here in Europe and in uh, the other countries too what would you advise them if someone is now listening and they're like, Oh, I want to help too. What is, what kind of advice can you give him or her?
1: Oh, the only, uh, the first thing is you need um, an organization that can support the kind of help you want to give. So hopefully an organization already exists like that and you can join it. And if not, if you have the leadership skills, you might want to form the organization. And I'm certainly happy to offer support and and my experience to anyone uh, who needs that, you know, advice. I don't know all the rules of other countries, um, but it's just a matter of of really putting together, looking for volunteers who are willing to help and and coordinating uh, the volunteer work and finding out what programs exist in a country and um, partnering. We're in partnership with so many organizations um, who are also helping Yezidis, no one as exclusively as we are, except there, there is one Operation Ezra in Winnipeg, but outside of that, everybody else are just settlement organizations or, or you know, boards of education that uh, treat all communities, but have found that the, commun- the needs of the Yezidi community are just exceptional. Um, so we are, we have many partners and what we can't do ourselves because there's a lot of work to do and it's overwhelming. We work with our partners so somebody else can take that load on, right? Um, so having those partnerships, working in teams, this is really important.
2: Yeah, I indeed agree. And um, we st- you told like about some horrific stories that happened to those Yezidi, uh, Yezidis. Like the girls or the men or the young boys. Um, I think we have also another question about that Svenja.
0: Yeah no we just wanted to ask if you could also share one or two um, success stories maybe or something that is um, a bit hopeful. I mean you just talked about the YES project which is already inspiring but maybe an individual story that you have that you would like to share.
1: Uh, Well, there are are many, Um, you know, we're just, we're seeing their ability to navigate life in Canada just increase all the time. Uh, But if I can maybe cite one example where with literally within a couple of months of starting the YES program, somebody who had managed to increase her verbal skills in English, but could not read and write within a couple of months was filling out uh uh forms for the school for her her son uh, on the computer and something she had never ever done before with just a little bit of encouragement from the teacher uh there were um others who had never got could speak english but had never gone to a bank and talked to a bank officer in order to correct some error who who when finding out that there had been a mistake on her bank statement was able to go and deal with it herself, uh, with the bank office. I mean, just stories like this, it's just everyday things that we take for granted, but is like just another world for them. You know, um, it's stories like this. There are many.
2: Well, that's very beautiful to hear. Like, as you said, it's like a normal thing for us, but for them, uh, Filling out of form it's like a
0: huge step towards That's huge independence <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah no,
0: imagine. so we ask this to all our podcast guests um if you could say something to the world right now what would it be
1: oh um there's a lot of darkness in the world um but you are the light uh, it's through your actions, your loving actions, your actions of compassion, uh, reducing the suffering of others that helps to lessen the darkness and bring light to the world. Um, I can never emphasize that enough. So that wow. is my message. Wow. That's very <laughs> strong.
2: It was like a poem. Yeah, me too. Yeah,
1: I'm, I write poetry. Oh,
2: really? Okay. <laughs> uh, that one is really a good one. Yeah. Like it makes me think about it again, like the things we do like right now with Yazidi Legal Network and with Yazidi Voices, but also things Project Abraham is doing. And with this podcast, we wanted to do with uh, Project Abraham is to also uh, tell our listeners that what is happening, what other people can do for the Yazidi community. Like it's not only sitting here and having pity for them and be like, oh, I feel so bad for them. But you can also like take action yeah, and that's that's right. very
1: helpful. And if you have any listeners who want to participate with Project Abraham, even if they don't live here, everything's online now. Our, our website is easy to remember, it's just projectabraham.ca. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for this interview. It
2: was very meaningful, interesting, and also informative. I hope our listeners had the same experience. Um, if you like this podcast, feel free to share it with your family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, and make sure to hit the follow button for further information about Yazidi Legal Network and our projects. You can visit our website or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Debbie, once again, thank you so much. And for the listeners, stay tuned for our next episode.
1: And thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak.